1: Hey, that's a lot of handsome, that's a lot of baller, that's a lot of me right there. Happy opening day. I was listening and watching Carton's show just now, and he asked a question. He said, which is, they're all awesome, which is your favorite? Opening day in baseball, first weekend in the NCAA tournament or championship, wild card, whatever weekend, in the NFL. Interesting question. See, I look at it this way, and I know I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong. Final four weekend in college basketball is actually a letdown. I I swear, I don't know why. Like, hey, look, today's Thursday. I'm used to two weeks ago sitting right over here all day making money, eating food, watching games, and then last week... I think it was in the evening, eating food, watching games, blah, 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 blah. Now I got nothing on Thursday except I do have the Cubs opening against the Brewers, and we're going to talk about it with Yankee great Jim Leyritz coming up. We're also going to talk mock drafts with our friend Danny Z. I also heard this today, and I don't know where in the hell this comes from. Colts are out on Lamar Jackson. I didn't see this. I did not see this. I didn't see this anywhere, and I'm anxious to see it. I want to see it. I don't know where it is or where it isn't, but where is that? I have not seen that. Dying to see it. Colts have said, and I think this is a smokescreen Jimmy Ursay has said that we do not like, nor does he support guaranteed contracts. Well, great. Good for you. You support overpaying, see left guard Quentin Nelson, see center. Ryan Kelly, I get it, $25 million for Phillip Rivers, which actually was probably a pretty good deal at the time. But the truth of the matter is, I don't see the Colts being out on Lamar Jackson. I see the Colts doing what people are doing, probably kicking the tires, seeing what's going to transpire. All right, I'm going to get to all of that, but yesterday, um, and I hate this, I hate the politicalization of school shootings. I want solutions from serious people. I want people in our Congress that say, "Look. Here is what we are going to do." And it's going to be bipartisan. Now, I understand it's easier said than done. I understand. That ladies and gentlemen, I live in a myopic world where I think leaders should lead. I took leadership very serious. It's why I was the only at the time me and Quinn Buckner the only two-time captain at Indiana University under Bob Knight. I took leadership very serious. I still do. You know, we have a great environment on this show, and I live in frickin' Indy. Everybody else lives in Nashville, but they're such great people that lead. Dylan leads, Aaron leads, Ryan leads, and everybody's got their own job, and we lead. Take it very serious. Well, our lawmakers are clowns. Our lawmakers have absolutely embarrassed themselves, and they continue to embarrass themselves. And let me be very clear before I show you this video. I don't want my daughter having to have a handgun. I don't want my daughter being armed. My daughter's a fourth grade teacher in Nashville, Williamson County. I don't want her holding a gun, having one in her desk. That's not what she signed up for. It's not what she signed up for. So if that makes me less of a Republican, then so be it. We gave you our solutions. Bulletproof glass all over. The technology is there. They're using it already in Arkansas. Armed guards, instead of paying a bazillion dollars to fund pensions for illegal immigrants, how about we take some of, if not all, the money and put guards in our schools, one in the front, one in the back. It ain't a perfect solution it's hard to get crazy but what we don't need is clowns what we don't need is this right here
2: children at all cowards pressure them force them to respond to the question why the hell will you do anything to save america's children and let them explain that all the way up until election day on 2024 let them explain it all the way up to Election Day on 2024. They're freaking cowards. They're gutless. They're what not here. I'm talking about gun violence. You know, there's never been I'm a school talking about gun violence. in a school that allows teachers to carry. Carry would guns? You, would you? More guns, lead to more, would you more on guns on? lead to more death. Would you close one more guns lead on? to more death. Look at on? the data. You're not looking at any data. No you're you're, no you're they carrying deal. the water for the gun lobby. No, no, Look at the data, more guns, even kids. more deaths. Kids, guns, states that have open carry laws have more deaths. States that have open carry laws have more death. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm that, that's, a, what caused their children to dying? Know, 9 your so so own children. Cuz the solution is not teachers. Have you ever worked in a school? 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 It's a yes or no every, question. Have, have you, you ever, ever worked in, a in the day? school? You, you will not answer day? my question. Don't you stop do and talk do. to me. Okay, I'll bring it down and out. All right, folks. Have you ever Listen, worked in the school? I've got a bill to repeal. the I worked the federal. in the school for anymore. 20 years. You're just screaming. I was a team. I, I was screaming before you 20, came every, and interrupted every, me. Every. I worked in the school for 20 years. I worked in school 20 years. In every school I was a teacher, I was a school counselor, I was a middle school principal. I was in cafeterias protecting kids every day of my career. There's never been a shooting. We've got guns here to protect us. Why? I believe the kids should have somebody to protect them.
3: Every school that's allowed it. Has never had a shooting, not even an accidental
2: discharge, in any of the schools.
1: Yelling like an idiot, screaming profanity is going to fix it, huh? Standing outside. Now, this guy uh, Jamal Bowman presides over the Bronx, Northern Bronx, Southern Westchester County, where there's a ton of murders, and doesn't seem to care about that. But when his, when the camera comes on and he gets to stand outside. Uh, And yell and scream like a complete idiot. It was a bit of a, well, Kendrick Perkins type of display. I'm just going to yell until I just can't yell anymore. Now, Thomas Massey, the Republican, comes in. He's dumb for coming in. I mean, how stupid are you? You got a raging lunatic yelling and screaming totally unhinged. You don't try to reason with him. You just walk by and let him act like an idiot. And that's exactly what this guy is. I mean, we need leadership in our country. We need real serious people. We don't need people that know a camera's on them. Look, everywhere I go, I just assume a camera is on me. I just assume that somebody's filming it. This idiot went right out into the middle, outside the chambers, and started yelling like a goof. As Jason Whitlock said, so yelling and profanity is going to solve the issue. Just screaming and yelling, you know what it does? It makes people have less respect for you. Now, I don't know whether Jamal Bowman is a respected member of Congress or just a clown. I don't know. I don't know whether Thomas Massey is. But Thomas Massey was stupid for engaging. I don't agree with either. Look, I don't don't agree that we all of a sudden decide only taking guns is the answer. I've told you my solution. I'll continue to tell you my solution. But my solution isn't to have an idiot standing there in Congress yelling, screaming, and grabbing a constituent. And my other solution isn't having the guy Massey come up and start trying to reason and yell at a lie, or not a lying, a screaming lunatic that is unhinged. It's embarrassing. It's the way the world works. And this is just what we do. But I've said forever, we need serious people. We need serious people. We don't need town criers. We don't need political points being made. We need serious people to have serious discussions And come up with bipartisan, serious answers to the problem of school shootings. And I'm gonna give you the answers. Uno, one, in every community, find, get, hire. Again, you're gonna have to need some money to do what I'm gonna say and take the money that we're giving the illegal freaking immigrants, housing them in luxury hotels, paying their pensions, giving them money. Are you insane? Are you insane doing that? Take that money, uh, fortify our schools. The technology is there. Well, the guy shot in the front door. Well, make it so that she, he, whatever the hell it was, can't shoot in the front door. Can't shoot in a window. Well, you're going to do that to every school? Yes, I am. I am. You won't notice no difference. It's like a car driving by... Uh, in a presidential uh, motorcade. You don't know which ones are bulletproof. You don't tell. I've kind of looked into this. It makes the school safe, number one. Number two, armed guard, front back. Again, you're going to have to spend a little freaking money. I don't know if you've ever talked to police officers, but I support the blue. I do. Sure, there's some mistakes, and we always got to say that. Like, that's the only occupation where guys uh, make mistakes. Every You know the level of scumbag in the media? Don't even try it. But anyway, it's going to take some money front and back. You hire, there's cops all over in every city that would love to do that, that would love retired, that would love to protect our children. ID every entrance. Nobody in, nobody out. Period period fortify our classrooms that's part of fortifying our school look instead we just yell and scream and come up with nothing. One group wants the guns the other group says well then only the bad guys are gonna have guns. one group says every gun's got to be gone that's the only way to keep kids safe the other group says look the only way to stop a bad guy is with a good uh, bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun I hey, look I'm not paid to come up with answers but I'm also, completely and totally involved in common sense. And my God, where is the common sense here? No, let's go out and scream, you idiots, in the middle of a hallway. I can hear it now. You're racist, Doc. Shut up. Just shut up with that. I can hear it now. If you're going to go outside and scream in a hallway, then you know what? I don't know. Maybe, as Dave Carroll says... What is a very crucial part of finding a solution? How about listening? How about listening? How about saying, okay, and not being worried about your job or your little party? Dumbest thing I could think of is somebody being married to a party. Well, he's not really part of our party. So what? How about we listen and see what he or she has to say? Instead of going outside and yelling like an idiot. And then another guy matching up with you, and he's yelling like an idiot. You had an idiot off. You did. You had an idiot off. The the thing that idiots want to do when they're yelling and screaming outside is get other idiots to join them. Everybody knows that. And so this guy, Jamal Bowman, got every idiot to join him. And then, of course, you know what he does. He goes right to social media, and he shows a picture of the other guy, Thomas Massey, and his family with guns. I say to Thomas Massey, good for you. It's the United States, baby, personal choice. And if Jamal Bowman doesn't like it, that's his personal choice. I respect that. But showing a picture, Jamal Bowman showing a picture of Thomas Massey's family with a gun makes me like Massey more. We got to protect our kids, man. We got to protect our teachers, too. I got a daughter that's a teacher. My mom and dad were both teachers. I want to protect our teachers, and I know right now it's not only from outside people coming in. It's from little jags in schools thinking that they can do whatever it is they want, and I go back to this. If I were in Congress, which I should go, I mean, I don't know what's wrong with me. I should. i tell you what I would fight for. I would fight for prayer back in schools. I would fight for that. We are a lawless society that has nothing going on other than what we see on social media and TV. We celebrate mental health. We celebrate transgender instead of celebrating our children. We look at Hollywood, and all we got is crap. Just crap. It's amazing. I'm going to read you something real simple here that a guy posted to me this morning, and I got to tell you. He could not be more right. Hell, I've done so much posting this morning because when I get mad, uh, I post. I can't find it. I had it here a minute ago. But honest to God, how about we put school, how about we put respect, how about we put discipline back in school? Well, you're not touching my kid. Good, get your kid out of school. You're not speaking my kid. Good, get your kid out of school. Don't let him come. Can you imagine? I mean, I, 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 it would be unbelievable to me to see what Lee Ross or my first wife, the great Jackie White, would do if my kids came home and said, you know, uh, Mom, Dad, uh, um, somebody, uh, they're, they're trying to put me on puberty blockers because, you know, I'm an athlete. Could you imagine? There would be a string of dead bodies everywhere. There would be. Uh, Lee Ross, Jackie White, I mean, every strong woman that I know would be marching in there going, are you out of your f- in mind? I would love to see it. I wish my kids were groomer age and some little purple haired teacher with a bedazzled phone and a fat ass tried to teach her about, well, you know, you play sports, so you must want to be a boy. Oh my God. Would that be awesome? I would just sit back and watch the carnage as Lee Ross or Jackie White destroyed everything in that school. <laughs> Groomers, my ass. How about we just protect kids? How many times do I got to say it on this show, you idiots? How many times? How many times do I have to say it in this, on this show? We got to protect kids. We got to discipline kids. We got to educate kids. We got to quit exposing kids to crap, Hollywood garbage. You know, and the answer is this, when you go on Twitter, when you go on here and you see the response, the answer is, well, what 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 about Marjorie Taylor? I don't care about Marjorie Taylor. I don't care about any of these idiots. Well, what what about I I don't care. Well, what about yeah, well great. Honest to God. Well, great. Great. Son of a biscuit maker. I mean, we can't protect our kids and we got some clown out there in the middle of college. Shut up. Man, Dave Carroll's right. He's absolutely right. Amen. What is a very critical part of finding a solution? Uh, Listening 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 i agree with mark irvin how long have we been pumping drugs into our kids and young adults americans have always had guns yet we don't see didn't see all the shootings until recently democrats remove school prayer self-smut gangster culture in hollywood promote lonely social media push race class gender uh, warfare it's destroying our society he's right absolutely right. But you know what? You're allowed to say it now. I give you permission to say it. Who cares if some slap calls you any kind of ist? Who cares? We're so far beyond all that now. Jesus, some idiot just standing there in Congress yelling and then a guy dumb enough, Thomas Massey, to come over and argue with him. Oh, geez. Ish my head. Uh, Dan Dockage is on to his best show ever, speaking the truth. Thank you. I am. Look, I, people ask me, tell me how to be a radio host. All right, you know I tell them two things. One, dominate the mic. But you know what I really tell them, learn to listen. Like when I do an interview, I don't ask long questions. Short questions. I listen to the answer and I respond. Listening, as Dave Carroll said, is huge. I can't sit there in Congress thinking, this is my party, this is what we think, this is how we are, and I'm not. It's stupid. And yelling like an idiot Kendrick Perkins on our television or this guy Jamal Bowman is totally, totally anti-getting solutions. You're not going to get a solution. It is anti-anything that is going to help a situation when somebody is just screaming like an idiot. Well, you would say an idiot. Yeah, you, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Yeah, well, you're right. Yeah. Dawkins, you're race. Good. Call me whatever names you want. But it's time not to be scared about the crap. Well, you're an ish. You're an phobic. So what? No, I'm not. I'm common sense. And so are most freaking people that have common sense. They're common sense thinking people. Some idiot running around. Well, you know, uh, uh, you're a coward. You're... Okay, great. Jesus. And these are the people we have leading us. Our freaking president can't speak. Our freaking president doesn't know where the hell he is. And these idiots in Congress just screaming and yelling because a camera's on them. I got a camera on me every day. Who cares? Jeez. I heard something today. Let me swing over because I got Danny Z and his mock drafts here. Uh, I heard something today. Don't buy it, Danny Z. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. I just saw on Carton's show, he said the Colts are out of the running for Lamar Jackson, and that affects mock drafts. Don't buy it. Not yet. Colts got to make a move. Colts got to do something. Don't be surprised if ultimately the Colts don't make a t- attempt, that you hear an attempt, Danny Z.
3: Yeah, I would be shocked if the Colts didn't make a play for Lamar. In fact, in my latest mock draft, that's what I have happening. I have the Colts getting Lamar and the Ravens taking that number four pick and then using it on Kentucky quarterback Will Levis. Um, it doesn't make sense that the Colts wouldn't be interested. It just it, it, it defies all logic that the Colts wouldn't be interested.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, if you need a quarterback, all I, I, right, let me go this route with you because I said this yesterday on another show. I said, you know what? It is very rare that a quarterback in his prime... Now, you may think Lamar Jackson has slipped. You may think he's not good. I don't know. I don't. I think he's great. But anyway, it is very rare that a guy in his prime becomes available, and unlike Deshaun Watson, you can tell me I'm wrong, the only baggage with Lamar Jackson, if it's even baggage, I don't consider it baggage as he wants to be, his own agent. And, of course, you know, the injury part, but that's more part of football than actual personal baggage.
3: Yeah, I guess it depends how you look at sort of the social media stuff. Lamar likes to go on Twitter and air out the dirty laundry a bit. That could be seen as a little bit of a distraction. However, I would make the case that, as far as I can tell, players around the league get more trouble for agreeing with Lamar than anything else. We had a dolphins, but new dolphins signee uh, taking a bunch of heat because he tweeted, come to Miami. Uh, So the players seem to like Lamar. I don't think it's a locker room distraction in the least. I mean, you could argue that as a GM, you don't want your franchise quarterback throwing all this stuff out there on Twitter for everyone to consume. But um, as far as I can tell, the players around the league seem to love the guy. So I don't think there's any issue from a team chemistry standpoint uh, as far as, you know, baggage goes.
1: The reason I bring that up is because Chris Ballard, the GM of the Colts, is always talking about horseshoe guys. He just said the other day, you know, we had offers for Ryan Kelly and we had offers for Kenny Moore Jr., but they're such great Colt guys. I'm like, screw Colt guys. You're 4-13. and 13. I want to hear about Colt guys. I don't give a damn if you go to the pen and get some guys that can play. Screw horseshoe guys. Get me guys.
3: Well, the see the issue here is is part of the hang up with Lamar though. So I agree with you. The that that phrase should be turned into these guys are winners, which of course they're not because they're four and thirteen. Lamar. The big debate rages about Lamar because his regular season record is ridiculous. He's like 75% win percentage in the regular season, but he has one playoff win and he's played pretty poorly in the playoffs. So that's one of the big knocks against him right now is he hasn't performed in the playoffs. So is he a winner or not? Well, we don't really know. And that's kind of I think what's helping hold this up, but as I said on your show last time, man, like there's just you're not going to convince me that 31 teams don't think they should go get Lamar Jackson. There, there, you're just—you'll never convince me that 31 GMs look at this guy, uh, putting the Ravens aside, and say, "No, we don't want that guy." There's just no way. So,
1: what do you think it is?
3: <laughs> that's that's the million-dollar question, or the 250 million-dollar question, right now is—is is it, you know, is there a, a a wink, wink deal amongst the owners that hey, you know, we're not giving these guaranteed contracts out, we're not allowing that to be a hang-up. Lamar has said he doesn't want a guaranteed contract. It's possible, just reading between the lines a little bit, Lamar seemed upset that the Ravens offered him three guaranteed years and not five. He wants five. And that is a legitimate concern, I would think, for most teams, not wanting to sign Lamar Jackson to a five-year deal that takes him into his 30s. Because I think everyone understands that Look, we can call it racism. Like, oh, he's a black quarterback. So you think he's going to draw like, no, it's just the style of football that he plays. We've never seen a guy play that style of of quarterback and be good or not even quarterback. I mean, look at running backs, look at receivers, guys who overly rely on athleticism that falls off quicker than someone like Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or these guys we've seen stick around because they rely on technique. They rely on um, awareness, instincts, all those other things. So I think there is a discrepancy here between Lamar wanting five years guaranteed versus three, which to me is a legitimate. If I were a team, I would not want to give him five years. I w- I, w- I just wouldn't do it.
1: I wouldn't either. Indianapolis, we are a little sheepish because Lamar Jackson's style is a bit reminiscent of Andrew Luck's style, and Andrew Luck – You know, citing whatever lie Andrew Luck decided to cite uh, left football because of whatever lie Andrew Luck decided to to cite. But so that does make folks a little sheepish. So let me go through this with you. Give me one through five your mock draft right now.
3: So I'm heavy on the quarterbacks. I think this is one of those drafts where teams are going to get desperate and they're going to make moves. I went quarterback one through four. That might shock some people, but I've got Stroud going number one to the Panthers. Uh, the Vegas odds have him about 75%. I, I I think I've said this on your show before, too. Like, Stroud just seems safer. I'm not sure he is, but I think GMs think he is just because he's more prototypical. He's got the size. He looks more like uh, a starting NFL quarterback. He's six foot three. hangs out in the pocket. Um, I think Houston sprints to the the podium with Bryce Young. They're happy to take him at two. I don't think they have any reason to try and move up to make a move. They'll be good there. Um, I have the Raiders trading into three to get Anthony Richardson. Uh, I mean, there's there's that joke that people used to always make, like, oh, who ran the fastest time at the 40? Because that's who the Raiders are going to take. Like, you know the Davis family loves speed. Richardson's got – Every bit of athleticism you want. So I, 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 he just seems like a perfect fit for the Raiders. Uh, and then, like I said, I have the, I, I ultimately think the Colts do get Lamar Jackson. I think Ursay is going to get a little itchy and be like, look, we got to just bring this guy in. We got to pay him. Um, thus, I have the Ravens taking over that fourth pick from the Colts and drafting Will Levis. And then I have the Seahawks taking Will Anderson as the first non quarterback off the board at number five.
1: Does the Jalen Carter, you know, a uh, mess, I guess, post? championship mess with the speeding and whatever was involved there. I guess he played no contest. Then his pro day was a bit of a train wreck. Uh, Does any of that really matter?
3: I think it does. I absolutely think it does. Um, I initially, when I first started doing this, I mean, all the buzz I heard was like, this guy could be number one, could be the number one pick. Like that is off the table. Um, I don't think he's going in the top five at this point. I've seen mocks with him going as low as like 20. I don't think so. Um, with the ridiculous amount of pure talent that he has, again, teams can convince themselves, kind of like, kind of like a girl who convinces herself she can change the guy. Like, there's going to be, it's like, you know what? We could take that talent. We can, our coach can change him. We can turn him into what we need to turn him into. Um, I still think he'll be a top ten pick, but I definitely think his is the concerns are legitimate and the stock has slipped. I've got several defensive players going ahead of him, and in fact. I have the Lions at number six, who I had mocked Carter to for quite some time because they did everything else in free agency. They went out and remade their secondary. They got Aiden Hutchinson with the number two overall pick last year. They need a guy in the middle like Jalen Carter. But I have not taken Brian Bercy out of Clemson. I think that that high, they want a safer pick. Um, and right now I have Carter dropping ninth to the Bears.
1: Wow. Wow. I mean, when I, again, I go back. I remember we had Urban on before the uh, national championship semifinals. He's like, look, this dude is dominant. This dude, you got to put four hands on him. But to your point, I mean, look, these things do matter. I mean, that's why they do them. They wouldn't do combines or they wouldn't do pro days if they didn't matter. Everybody says they don't matter. And I'm like, okay, why do you do them then?
3: They don't matter in so far as. I'm not sure how much your stock can improve, but it certainly can drop. And if you can't, if you're getting winded through workouts and shorts and a T-shirt and stumbling around, and then you couple that on top of the legal issues, he came in heavier, like there are a lot of signs that when put together, I mean, again, everything in a vacuum, it's like, yeah, maybe it doesn't matter uh, if you just look at it, but but when you compile everything around Jalen Carter, there's, there's just too many things piling up to ignore.
1: I agree. I, I, I do agree. Anthony Richardson. I want to go back to him. I. I. I w- w- no, I don't. I want to go <laughs> to Hendon Hooker. A Lot you of do talk in want, Indy Dan. that Hendon Hooker. I know it. Uh, I'm at Hendon. A lot of talk in Indy about Hendon Hooker. Uh, you know, he went to the Senior Bowl and was a leader. He was on the co- on the sideline of the Orange Bowl. Blah blah blah. blah. Uh, where do you got him going?
3: I decided to have a little fun here. I started thinking about it because I'm i like you. I've heard all the same buzz. I think he's getting some – I don't – right now I have the Rams trading into the first round to draft Hendon, Hendon Hooker. Um, I think he makes a lot of sense to the Rams um they've got Matthew Stafford for probably just one more year he can sit for a year he's a guy just and I wrote the same thing about Anthony Richardson I think it's going to be detrimental to Richardson to be drafted in the top five and have a team expect him to start from day one he'd be much better off sitting behind a veteran um I thought he made a lot of sense to Seattle at the time sit behind Geno Smith for one maybe two years and and learn um that's probably not going to happen for him but it's possible that it could happen for Hooker if he goes somewhere like Los Angeles, where he could sit behind Stafford for a year, I think going into the McVay system would make would be great for him. I think that's that's the best possible landing spot. I mean, perhaps the Rams could stay at, they have the sixth pick in the second round, they could stay there possibly and get him. But to be honest, I do these mock drafts partially for content, and I was like, I got to get Hooker into the first round. Let's have the Rams trade into the first round to go get him. I, I like the fit there. I don't know if they'll trade up to get him, but I like the fit a lot
1: yeah, you know, a uh, question becomes this: How good is he? So I'm working on a longer
3: term a longer form piece. and the theory is this that drafting a quarterback, especially in the first round, is actually far safer than any other position. and I don't think people realize that. I saw tweets the other day that were like, oh if you you know if you draft one of these guys in the top five and they don't work out, you know, you set your franchise back five years. Well, that's not really true because the cost of an average NFL quarterback relative to the salary cap, I mean, Kirk Cousins gets $30 million against the cap. And Kirk Cousins, I would argue, is basically the baseline average NFL quarterback. That's where I would set the bar for baseline average. That's going to cost you $30 million. Well, based on the rookie wage cap, the most a rookie quarterback at any point in his deal is going to make in the first five years is 10 to 11 million dollars against the cap. That's one third the cost of an average NFL quarterback. You start looking at other positions and you go, well, if this guy's making 11 million dollars by year four, then he needs to be at worst, he needs to be league average at his position. And at some positions that teams overdraft, like middle offensive line, especially you know, the top of the position is making 16, 17 million bucks. You're making 70% of literally the best player at your position by year four. So quarterbacks, even though there's this perception that, you know, it sets your franchise back, I don't agree with that at all. In fact, I think it's quite safe to take a quarterback. And part of the reason I had the Rams jumping into the first round to get him is because if you take him in the first round, you now have opened the fifth-year option, which means you've got that player for five years you can evaluate and see what you have, whereas if you take him in the second round, the fifth-year option goes away. He's a free agent after year four.
1: That is so well said because I I, I don't listen to people that just use those type cliches. Well, set your your, – Franchise back five years. Who determines five years? You, you know what I mean. Like who determines that? That is really interesting to me because I swear to God, I have said the, I have said that not nearly with the depth that you said that, because somebody. Okay, well, isn't it three years? Is it four? Is it two? Do you get to draft another one next year? I mean, stop. And the money's not bad. You know, the Colts. This is the fifth year option deal. People don't know this. The Colts and Ryan Grigson were so smart, they did not extend Andrew Luck until they had to in the fifth year. You know what I'm saying? Now the Colts did exactly what you're saying. They overpaid for a left guard. They overpaid for a center. And now they stink. Yeah, so – I Thank
3: you for validating my thought, because this is something that's been rattling around. You for don't a while.
1: need my validation. You don't need my validation, but that was just really good. So edge rushers are another one that make a
3: lot of like edge rushers, that's why a lot of them get drafted in the in the top ten, especially, because the top edge rushers make thirty million dollars, $30, $31 dollars. Again, it's still lower than quarter league average versus like the the top edge rusher, TJ Watt. Let's let's say it's TJ Watt, uh for the sake of this gets about $31 against the cap. That's the same as Kirk Cousins. T.J. Watt's arguably the best at his position, and Kirk Cousins is average. You know, Deshaun Watson's cap hits $54 million. So unless your quarterback that you draft in the top 10 is just awful, you're getting return on investment value-wise based just solely on the salary cap. Now you could bring in other arguments like, well, who did you pass on in that spot? Okay, yes, it's a complex issue. Understood. However... I just want to dispel the notion that drafting a quarterback is this this super risky decision. When actually, it's the it's the safest decision you can make in the top ten. Which is why I have four of them going in the top four.
1: Where where can people find your stuff, Danny? Uh you can find me at Outkick Dan Z on
3: Twitter, and uh, you know you can just Google Dan Zach learn how to spell it. It's on the screen there. It's right, which is great. Thank you to your producers for getting that right. Uh Google that without OutKick, you'll find me. I'm easy to find.
1: I recommend Danny uh, Outkick Danny Z. Don't even try to spell the name. Not, my listeners, they're not <laughs> capable of that. That's a lot. Come on, that's asking Danny. That's that's asking a lot, man. That, come I'm on, sorry, you know, it's early too. It Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. That's great stuff. That's great stuff. I mean, you just got great stuff here. The show just continues to dominate because what you just heard there is so freaking smart. Some idiot comes on TV. Well, it sets you back five years. Really? Okay. All right. All right. When we come back, I got a lot. Why is ESPN allowing? Now, think about this. Why are they allowing Bomani Jones and others to have these open dialogues on ESPN? about Donald Trump when just a few years ago, they silenced and demoted our friend Sage Steele. How about the girl from Memphis, the clown woman from Memphis that punched a Bowling Green girl getting charged good for Bowling Green. Got a lot to get to here. Be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. I got questions. I got questions, ladies and gentlemen, and I hope you got answers for me. The YouTube chat is a bumping. All right, here's the deal. You ready? Let's get into some headlines. Last night, Anthony Davis, 39 and 10. All of a sudden, now the Lakers feel like they are back in business. They've gotten back to 500, the Lakers, and I don't care, but I do like the playoffs. Patrick Reed and Bubba Watson, remember those two? They both are claiming. That the media created all the drama between the PGA Tour and the Live Golf Tour and that behind closed doors everything is fine. Which tells me this. Which tells me that Bubba Watson and Patrick Reed are liars because not only have we seen it out in front of us, we haven't had the media or had to have the media tell us we've seen it. We've seen Patrick Reed go over. And speak to the most, the most, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, what's the right word? Uh, we've seen the media speak to the the most. I, I got bad words today, but it is this it is freaking uh, Roy McElroy, who's been outspoken. We've seen Reed, we've seen him, and I don't care. I got to get to Sage Steele. But first, let me get to this. Jamaria, whatever the hell her name is, shuts Memphis women's basketball idiot, faces assault charge in Bowling Green, Ohio. My place for punching a Bowling Green player in the handshake line. Now, this idiot right here had to be dragged away. Now, you know what's going to happen. There's going to be some kind of, she called me this. Yeah, okay, right, 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 right. i in the handshake line for however many years. Get out of there. Quit rubbing your butt on the grass or on the carpet. Anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope she gets charged, which she has. She's pled guilty, and I hope there is some repercussions. You know Memphis isn't going to do it. Memphis basketball, women's basketball, it's all a train wreck, and it has been for years. Years, ladies and gentlemen. But Memphis isn't smart. She pled not guilty. Um, all right. Sage Steele. Sage Steele, let me ask you a question. Sage Steele gets suspended. Sage Steele gets suspended, and I'm going to read this to you, for comments that weren't even political. She was talking about her experiences as a biracial woman when others were comparing it to Obama, if you remember. It was her opinion that she spoke on, On the vaccine mandate. Her opinions don't fit the narrative. I ask why. Why? Why don't Sage Steele's opinions, opinions, her life, her story, her opinion, why don't they fit ESPN when a race-baiting, do-nothing, ratings-complete disaster like Bomani Jones can say whatever in the hell they want? anything they want. Bomani Jones on the ESPN platforms is talking about Donald Trump getting arrested. And you know, Bomani Jones is all for it because that's what Bomani Jones would be for. Bomani Jones doesn't know the actual story. Nobody's going to tell Bomani Jones, but why is this? Sage Steele is, in my opinion, the most watchable person on ESPN. When I turn on ESPN, I turn it off more than I turn it on based on who is on it. Why is L. Duncan, why is Ryan Clark's opinion more important than Sage Steele? Why? What happened to ESPN that they completely lost their mind? What happened to ESPN that they decided that when you're Kendrick Perkins or you're Matt Barnes, both of whom are on ESPN, You can MF, you can swear, you can do anything you want on social media. But Sage Steele gives her opinion on her life, her thoughts on a mandate, her thoughts as a biracial woman as compared to the Obamas, and this is somehow blown up. She gets, I don't know if she got demoted, I know she's being paid great, but all of a sudden she's not on an uh, NBA countdown. Why does it not fit the narrative? Is she, do they not like biracial women? Do they only want quote black women? Are they prejudiced against a conservative? Why? See, people question why I left ESPN. It's easy. It's idiotic there. Do you know how many people, how many guys call me, talk to me and say, man, how do I get the outkick? How can I get the outkick? What, what, how do I do it? Where do I go? Women too. Not Sage. She has a personal thing that she has to deal with that makes her stay at ESPN. But I don't think I've ever rooted for a lawsuit more in my life than Sage Steele to beat ESPN. Now I love ESPN. Don't get me wrong. They paid for my kids' school. I was the best they had there, at least according to Norby Williamson, David Seisler, and Michael Schiffman, who run the thing. I was the best analyst they, quote, ever had at ESPN. But I couldn't wait to get out of there because I got to tell you, I'm not working with idiots. I'm not being put off of games because I'm white. And everybody, know you should have heard when Schiffman called me when he found out I was leaving. I said, look, you guys, you don't like the fact that I'm a middle-aged white guy. You got enough of those guys, and I'm too highly paid. No, that's not it. Okay. Then why were me and Scott Johnson taking off the ACC tournament for two African-American guys, one of whom had never worked an ACC game in his life? Well, you know, I had heard, and I think this is true, that your bosses at ESPN got bonuses for removing white dudes and putting minorities in higher-profile positions. And if you think that's great, fine. That's your prerogative. I I respect everybody's thought on that. But for me, being affected by it, I'm like, yeah, this is crap. Because I'm better than all of you. So that's why I got the hell out of here. But anyway, so why is it, explain it to me, why is it that Sage Steele, a biracial woman who has carried herself with absolute dignity over the years, have you ever read about Sage Steele doing anything? Have you ever seen a tweet from Sage Steele with m-effer in it, like you see from Kendrick Perkins, or smoking weed like you see from frickin' Matt Barnes, or acting like an idiot like you see from most guys on ESPN? Have you ever seen it? Of course not. Her father is one of the all-time legends at West Point, which means he's one of the all-time high-character men in this country. Have you ever seen anything out of race-baiting crap out of this guy right here? Bomani Jones, I guess he's not on the screen. Course not. Why do you think Bomani Jones still has a job? Why do you think Bomani Jones is still a thing? Worst-rated sports radio show they've ever had. Worst-rated TV show. Does less on HBO. Read Bobby Barak's column than infomercials on kids' channels. Yet, Sage Steele has been basically crucified by this network, crucified by this freaking network, for being what, a biracial woman or a conservative or both? I look at Ryan Clark on that television once in a while, I'm like, this idiot actually said he was not going to work with Sage Steele because of her conservative views, and they've allowed it. Let me explain to you how many people would leave watching ESPN if Ryan Clark wasn't on it. Zip. Zip. You're exactly right, Van Pastor, man. You're exactly right. Exactly right. Sage Steel has been nothing but class. Nothing. Nothing. Dan, yet Stephen Holder, who works for ESPN, speaks about nothing for an hour a day on 107.5. Nothing new or insightful, entertaining. Stephen Holder is a writer here at Indy. Stephen Holder has been a beat writer for the Colts for 10 years. 10 years. Going on his 11th. Never broken a story. Not one. Never. Has written zero things that anybody remembers. Zero. Hired at ESPN. I don't know why. I don't know why. I just know that he has. It's amazing. Amazing the world we live in. And then I see women... Uh, It's unbelievable. I see a woman like Sage Steele, and it just breaks my – it doesn't break my heart. It's just so asinine, so ridiculous, so incredibly racist, so incredibly biased that it makes you puke. Salute, Sage Steele. Screw the rest of you. It's my take. Uh, Damian Lillard torched the NBA for becoming more titled – and suggesting he might not play much longer. When I came into the league, you had to earn not just what you get from the team or the respect, you had to earn your space on the team. Yeah, all these guys in their 20s are trying so hard now. Have you seen the world that we live in now? Uh, Whoopi Goldberg actually stepped out against cancel culture. She's the number one cancel culture-ish. Now this guy, Lillard, is acting like, man, when I came up, yeah, okay. When you came up, everybody was entitled. Everybody was like uh, more into the show. Everybody's the same as they were now. Now, you want to go back 20, 30 years when guys had to bust it? I'll listen to you. But I ain't hearing, well, you know, when I came up, yeah, all right. Yeah, really? Okay. Sure. Yeah, right. All right. Yeah, okay. Please. Please. It's been entitled, it's been ridiculous, and it isn't getting any better. It's just getting worse. See Ennis Cantor freedom. If you really want to see what the hell's going on. So Damian Lillard, it's cute. You're doing what a lot of guys are trying to do. You've seen the world. You're seeing the future. You're seeing the woke crap, and you're trying to back yourself into an era that certainly hasn't been there since you've been playing basketball. Uh, A deal is in place. I like this. A deal is in place between the minor league players and the major league baseball. First collective bargaining agreement. The deal is five years and includes at least two times the pay at all levels. Now, I have had many friends that played Major League Baseball, and I got to tell, Minor League Baseball, excuse me. I got to tell you, Minor League Baseball has always been abusive. Minor League Baseball has always been ridiculous. Minor League Baseball, uh, they agreed, will pay out nearly $90 million in first-year benefits to players. That's what the MLB is having to do. Increased pay, previous pay 4800 to 175 per year for players with no experience, it goes up to $26,000, 26, 30 and 35. In-season housing. See, they're going to do stuff with in-season housing. Smart. I mean, what the hell? Why was it always okay to abuse minor league players? Imagine you're playing minor league baseball and your salary is 4 grand a year. doesn't even make any sense. It's below the poverty line. I'm going to ask Jim Leyritz about it. Now, the one, Jim Leyritz, former Yankee star, I'm going to ask him about this because it doesn't make sense to me that this has been going on that long. It's just one of those things that has always been, and since it has always been, that's the way it always is. Stupid. Honest to God. How do you go along? How have you gone along with this forever? So $90 million is going to be earmarked back into the players. I guess the answer is, well, you don't have to do it. Well, okay, how are you making the majors? You know, in, in basketball, if you stay in the uh, college ranks too long, you're considered damaged good, which is so incredibly stupid. But you are. You're too old. I'm going to ask Jim Leyritz about this. This, to me, seems like something that isn't only overdue. It is, as we would describe it, way freaking overdue. Imagine you're playing baseball, right? And all of a sudden, oh, I don't know. <laughs> you got 20, you're making four grand a year? Oh, you're saying it's a summer? Okay, i bet you money based on traveling. Okay, you get 10 bucks a day for per diem? Jeez. Anyway, they should have to pay $90 million. They should have to pay back pay. They should have to atone for their sins. Atone for your sins, people. Atonement shall happen. Atonement, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> man, oh man. All right, a couple of things as uh, we move forward here today. Opening day is today. The Cubs are starting a guy that was 6-7, and Marcus Stroman. The only Marcus Marcus Stroman is like an Indiana basketball player. Indiana basketball players come to Indiana. They get on social media. Hey, what's good, Bloomington? Hey, where are all my IU faithful? Shut up. Go to work. Marcus Stroman came to the Cubs. Hey, what's good, Chicago? You're going to hear a lot from me. You're going to hear all kind. I'm going to be the guy that you follow on social media. Yeah, well, Marcus Stroman, you've sucked since you've been in Chicago. So now it's time to write that. It's time to get serious about your craft. That's uh, That's what pro and college athletes are supposed to do. Get serious about your craft. I said it a long time ago, and people got mad. I said this about a quarterback from Purdue with the Colts named Curtis Painter. He was a hanger-on quarterback, had some talent, big, strong kid, could throw it all right, didn't have a terrible release. But he was one of these dudes that didn't know he was a quarterback in the NFL. Long, stringy hair. I'm like, look, here's what you got to do. You got to cut your hair, get serious about your craft. People get so mad at that. Doesn't mean everybody. Look, we got a bunch of dudes playing college basketball. I swear to God, a couple of them. I'm like, is that a boy or a girl? I'm not kidding you either. Like, is that a dude or a a lady? Baycott's one of them. When I first saw him this year, I'm like, wait a second. Swear to God. So I'm not saying everybody, but it don't hurt you. It don't hurt you to cut your hair and get serious about your craft. I shaved my head and got serious about OutKick. I did. I mean, look, I don't give a damn whether or not uh, name a guy who has long hair. I don't care if you're great, you're great. But if you're struggling, cut your hair, get serious about your damn job, get off social media and get serious about your damn job. Marcus Stroman. Hi. Oh, hi. hey. uh, oh, what's good Chicago. I don't know, man. Not you, not you. Now you can change all that because, because ladies and gentlemen, with me and the Cubs, it is about one thing. And one thing only, winning. Winning. I just got a text from Tucker Barnhart, catcher of the Cubs. I'd sent him a text earlier. He's ready to go. Uh, gambling tip. My friends with the Cubs tell me this, t- this club is going to be much better than what people are anticipating. So do yourself a favor. Bet the Cubs over. That's right. I said it. Bet the Cubs over on wins this year. That may be my only baseball bet all year. Season, regular season wins. Chicago comes. I'm going to give them to you right now. 77 and a half. So if they win 78 out of 162, our toes are tapping. I'm betting it. I may bet more than I've ever bet. I need some interest. I need baseball to captivate me. It's going to today, I'm going to get all my stuff done. I'm going to turn on Marcus Stroman. And see if for whatever millions they're paying him, see if he can get anything done. I'm bitter until they win, damn it. (laughs) All right. Jim Leyritz. Jim Leyritz, World Series hero. Jim Jim Leyritz. I want to talk to him about opening day. How much fun is opening day for a player? Who's the most famous person he saw on opening day? I think Danny Pleszak tells a story I could be wrong about this. And this is how long Vanna White's been doing it. I think he walked up the stadium, I don't know what stadium he was in, and the first person he ran into as a rookie was like, whoa, that's Vanna White. On the field doing some promotion. Could be dead wrong about it. Dead wrong. Not sure, but I could be right about it too. Uh, back in the day, I mean, Danny were what? Danny was probably 22 maybe when he came up, 23. You see Vanna White, you think you got a chance. Jim Lawrence next. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. I love talking to champions, you know what I mean, like dudes that have experienced things like national NCAA championships, World Series championships, Super Bowl championships, Jay, Jay, Jim Leyritz was not only a champion, but he was a hero for the Yankees, which is basically the best thing, in my opinion, you could be, unless, of course, you're a hero for the Cubs, where I have my undying loyalty, Jim joins us now, all right, I just saw this, I had a number of friends play in the bigs and play in the minors, more in the minors. And the the conditions that they always talked about were unbelievable. 90 million is now going uh, to the minor league players. How overdue is this? Or in your mind, is it not overdue?
5: It's way overdue. It's way overdue.
1: I remember, you know, when I was
5: playing back in the day, you know, we were making 700 a month, 800 a month. And only during the time that you're playing – so when you went home for the off season, you couldn't train. You couldn't get in shape. You couldn't come back from injuries or things like that because you had to work two jobs. I think it's a great opportunity for these kids to make a little bit more money so when they come home in the offseason, they can really, really concentrate on trying to make themselves better ballplayers.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, the conditions, right? Where did you live on that kind of money?
5: You know, you had five roommates. You had five guys living in a two-bedroom apartment. You know, we would rotate two guys in a bedroom, and then one guy had a couch, and then the next month he'd get the shift. But you, because you had no money, you had to have five or six people living in a room.
1: Man, I, I you know, per diem was big, right? You had to have the per diem. Don't screw around with a per diem.
5: $8 a day for meal money. I don't, I, we didn't eat too much back in those days. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, man. You know, and and, so, and all of a sudden, you know, that movie, uh, Bull Durham, you know, <laughs> getting to the show, that's it, right? I mean, that's it. That's, that's for a lot of reasons.
5: Yeah, I mean, it, exactly. I mean, it, like you said, one of those things, I feel sorry for the guys that actually play in the Florida State League because when their first year in the minor leagues, they were playing at all the stadiums that the spring trainings is at. And then all of a sudden you get called up to double A or you go get sent down to low A and you're in these crazy podunk towns that, you know, field conditions are not the same. And it's, it's, a, it's a lot difficult ride after single A.
1: Do you remember the day, the moment, the second they told you you're going to the bigs?
5: Yep, June 4th, 1990. Uh, yep, I got, called, <laughs> I got called into the office on June 3rd uh, at 1 o'clock in the morning, and uh, Rick Downs, we had just played a doubleheader in Toledo, and Rick Downs called me and Alan Mills into his office and said, I've never done this before, but guess what, guys? You're going to the big leagues. And, Alan and I, we were in Toledo, Ohio. We had to drive to Columbus, get our stuff, and be on a plane that next morning to get to Baltimore to be with the team in Baltimore. But uh, it was a pretty special feeling.
1: Yeah, you are playing with the Clippers, I suppose, right?
5: Yeah, the Columbus Clippers, exactly.
1: Yeah. Hey, uh, Jim, Danny Pleszak, who's now with Major League Baseball Network, and I grew up together. Uh, Danny played 19 years in the, big, in the bigs, and I remember talking to him about his third year in. I go, what do you remember about your first opening day? And he's like, I'll tell you what I remember. I came up the stairs, and at the top of the stairs by the dugout was Vanna White. I go, holy crap, have I made it. Vanna White is right right there, right? I mean, what's your memory? What what was your favorite opening day?
5: Well, my first one in Yankee Stadium was in 1992. In 1990, I got called up in June, didn't have opening day. 1991, we opened up in Detroit. Um, And so my first official opening day in Yankee Stadium was 92, and man it was special it was uh the team had a lot of hope then after the, the the bad two years that we had in 1991 um and uh yeah i mean there's nothing like yankee stadium opening day uh, my most my most memorable one was 1996 we opened up against the Kansas City Royals and i uh, went 3 for 3 that day with two doubles and a couple RBIs we won but my biggest memory was standing on third base in the eighth inning and Mariano Duncan was hitting, and I couldn't see him because it was snowing so hard. It was, it was <laughs>
1: crazy. It was crazy. Now, imagine you're playing third base, right?
5: I was actually on third
1: base, and Mariano was hitting. Oh. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, um, other than being the pitcher... That's probably the most dangerous place on the field, right? Or maybe a catcher, but you're sitting there and you can't see the damn batter. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. And
5: Mariano Duncan was a guy that just, he would hook a ball with the best of them. Yeah. It was, it was a little scary.
1: What was, I've always said this and I'm curious. I'm a big Cub fan. And my whole life, I grew up Gary, Indiana. The Cubs were on every afternoon. I would run off the bus, hope they were in the fifth inning, not the seventh. Every game was afternoon. But I've always said this, and and you lived it, so I'm curious. The Yankees were my dad's team. Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris, you know, those guys. But then the Yankees weren't very good. George Steinbrenner comes in and realizes what he has and says, screw this, we're the Yankees. We're going to win. We're going to buy guys. We're going to do this. We're going to – I'm frustrated that the Cubs, as a big market, don't do the same thing. What was Steinbrenner – how was his drive, and how did it affect you guys in the clubhouse?
5: You know what? He was one of the greatest owners ever. that I ever played for, and I loved, I loved him because he was a lot like my dad. He's like, listen, you need this. You tell me that you need this to win, I'll go get it. But guess what? You better win. He would pay you the best. He would expect the best, and uh, I really thrived because my father was a lot like that. And George was kind of like my pseudo dad when I got to New York. Um, but yeah, I mean, for to have an owner that says, "Listen, guys, what do you need to win? I'll go get it," and just you better make sure you, you win with it. And um, it, it was pretty. It was it was pretty special the relationship I had with him.
1: Could you? You know, you you. You played a couple different places. Could you feel a difference playing with the Yankees for Steinbrenner?
5: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially the first time I left New York and I played for the Angels, who at the time were just bought by Walt Disney and Disney World. And it was like a circus compared to playing in New York. I mean, they expected us on our off days to to do clinics and to do all the – we're like, no, wait, our off day is our off day. We only get – 12 of them a year, we're not going to spend our, our 12 days doing things for Disney. Uh, it was, it was a little bit different there.
1: Yeah. I mean, all right. So now give me your impressions of where the Yankees are at.
5: Listen, I I'm excited. I'm excited. I just got back to New York. I I'm here all summer. I have an apartment for the season. Yankees are hiring me to do some work for them uh, in the suites and, you know, some of the community relations stuff. Um, but I look at this ball club and I say, hey, listen, they're, they're going to make the playoffs. No, no doubt about it. Can we put together a team that can put the ball in play, that can manufacture runs when it comes to the postseason? Because that's the one thing over the last five, ten years we have not been able to do because we've been so strikeout prone. And we can't get into the playoffs and face the number one and number two starters for Houston especially and beat them. And I think that's that's the Achilles heel. I think they make the playoffs, but I do think with this ball club, if they stay healthy, with the lineup they have starting opening day, if that's in place at the end, that's, this team has a great opportunity to maybe beat Houston for the first time.
1: I don't care how long it's been. Saying that the Yankees are playing Houston in the American League just does not sound right to me.
5: <laughs> that is true. That is <laughs>
1: You know, it's either they're a National League team. I get it. It's been a long time. All right, Boston, New York. How real is the rivalry? Well, it's
5: it's huge. It's the rivalry is still the same as far as the fans go and everything else amongst the players. It's changed a little bit. Not you know because you got you got guys playing for the Yankees one year and go to the Red Sox the next year. I was a guy that. I thank God I got one year in between before I went to the Red Sox. Um, but the passion, the fan base, the
2: pressure's bigger in New York because of the media. But the way they
5: all both approach their baseball, uh, both places were great to play. And of course, me growing up in Cincinnati, Ohio with the big red machine back in the 70s, my biggest memory was Carlton Fisk, the series against the Red Sox and the Reds. And the home run and that I was so excited to play my first game in, in Fenway because of my memories as a kid watching those series.
1: You know, it's funny you say that my stepdaughter plays softball at Harvard and we were just in Boston and we had uh, another couple and we took them to there's a bar um, inside Fenway left uh, left center. I guess, and they open up the window, and you're basically on the field, right? There's a screen, but, you, you know, we were getting hit by water from the uh, – and two guys, we're sitting there, we're having a beer, and two guys, older guys, kind of to our right, were talking about where they were when Fisk did what Fisk did. They're like – it was Sunday afternoon, a thousand years later, and these two guys right here are legitimately talking about it, Jim.
5: Yeah, you know that's the cool thing, and you know that's the one thing I got blessed with—the '96 home run that everybody, that was a Yankee fan, remembers where they were, what they were doing at that time. And again, for a guy from Cincinnati, Ohio, who never got drafted, who never was an everyday player, to have that kind of moment in Yankee history, I'm very blessed to have that moment.
1: Do you remember running the bases on that home run? I remember it. Did, did, did you remember running?
5: You know, I I remember running it only because I hit one that won in 95 in the playoffs against Seattle, and it was a walk-off in Yankee Stadium and it put us up two games to none, but we ended up losing that series. And when we lost the series, the home run became a footnote. All I could think about was if we don't win – because the home run 96 just tied the game. If we don't win, this is going to be a footnote again. And thank God we won that game. We went on to win the championship. And that 96 team started that dynasty, because had they not won in 96, had they lost like they did in 97, George Steinbrenner was going to fire Joe Torre, he was going to get rid of Mariano Rivera, and there would have never been the dynasty of the New York Yankees in the late 90s. Think, Think about that. That was why that 96 team was so important to Yankee history.
1: What was his problem with Mariano Rivera?
5: Well, Mariano took over as a closer in 97, and he struggled. And then he gave up the home run to Alomar to knock him out of the playoffs. And and, uh, so the story Gene Michael told me was George comes into his office because Gene was his right-hand guy and said, get rid of Torrey. Get rid of Mariano Rivera. I'm done. We're starting over. And Gene Michael said, George, hold on a second. Did you forget about last year? And George said, I'll give him one more year, and that's it. And, of course, the 98 magical season that they had solidified Torrey spot solidified Mariano. And it's all because that 96 team won.
1: And because Gene Michael stood up to the boss.
5: Exactly. You know, George really, really respected stick and really took his advice, uh, knowing that he was more level headed than George. Uh, but George had that passion, man, and there was nothing like it.
1: Um, pitch clock in baseball it saved 26 minutes off the game where are you at with that listen I, I I wish
5: people would just say listen you're going to a baseball game you're going to spend three and three and a half hours enjoy your time you know sit back and relax and enjoy you know enjoy the game um I get it I understand that you know they want to try to do something to keep the younger crowd who has a shorter attention span uh, in the end of the game. But I do think that they're going to have to tweak it a little bit. I think maybe you go to 30 seconds, you know, and maybe, you know, give each other – because the one thing I think it's unfair to both the hitter and the pitcher is when you're out there in the middle of the summer and it's and you're sweating and you're drip, you're dripping – there are certain times that you a, a, a sweat goes into your eye and you can't see and you got to back out. And if you do that, now you're going to get penalized or if you're a pitcher and you've given up three or four hits as a catcher, I'm coming out to talk to you, to give you a breath. I can't do that anymore. And I, so I think it's kind of unfair to both the hitter and the pitcher to do this. So you know what, let's extend it maybe 30 seconds to give these guys some time to get themselves together a little bit more.
1: Do you think Rob Dibble, whenever he comes on our show, he just goes off on Rob Manfred? I mean, he goes bat-blank crazy. Is Manfred good for baseball? You know what? I, I, I'm
5: i one that kind of always tries to stay neutral. But what I've seen and what's been happening with the sabermetric systems becoming everything and the way the game has changed, uh, again, I'm still going to be labeled old school. Because I just, I do think things have changed, not for the better of the game. It's made the game a, a, a lot more questionable uh, for guys like myself and guys like Dibs that, you know what, we had a passion to play this game, not to be a robot and be controlled by all these other things that that, that they're doing now in the game. And it's a shame, but listen, you got to kind of roll with the tide. And I do think it's changing. I do think every time Rob Manfred puts a new thing in, it hurts the game and it makes them look bad. So I think it's things are going to probably hopefully go back in the next five years a little more the way baseball used to be played. But uh, listen, it remains to be seen. And this is something that we're going to deal with the whole season again.
1: You know, Jim, I, 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 I have no problem. Uh, with sabermetrics or any of it. In fact, I used them coaching basketball before really anybody did when I was a college coach. But I'm tired of hearing about them on broadcasts. You know what I mean? I, I just it, – it, it's like, I, okay, he – you know, it's like, I, I, look, I couldn't get through algebra or geometry. I don't give a rat's ass about all that. You know, I don't know. I know that's old school and stupid, but I just don't. And I, And I think more fans are starting not to.
5: Well, here's the thing. This is the one thing that Sabermetrics doesn't take into consideration. Baseball is not like football. It's not like hockey. It's not like basketball. We play 162 games in 180 something days. We have to do this day in and day out. There's not time to go back and look at all of the numbers and all the things and put a game plan together like you can in basketball, in baseball, in f- football. So. Baseball is a game that's played more by the heart, more by the feeling, the emotion. And that's what Sabermetrics doesn't take into account. It can tell you, yeah, if you do it this way, you might have more success over a 162 game season, but it doesn't tell you, hey, when you get down to nitty gritty, when you get time, a guy on second and third and nobody out, and you gotta get a run in to win, it doesn't take those emotions into consideration. And I think that's where they're really missing out. And everything that they're doing to the game is trying to make the saber metrics work in their favor. And I don't think that's right.
1: I always said this, and it's it's a it's a thrill for me to talk to you. I think it's the second time you've been on the show because I I always said, man, you can't put a saber metric on what Scott Broches did or what Jim Layritz did. In the clutch, in the biggest moments, on the biggest stage, against the best. You can just, Saber Metric, this is what I always say about you and Brocious playing where you played, in front of who you played, in the moments that you played, and how you came through. I've always said that.
5: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I, I had a meeting with some of the Sabermetric guys at one point. Uh, I'm not going to mention the team, but um, I gave them my statistics in September. I gave them A-Rod's statistics in September. And um, I said, tell me which one of these players you would have played. And of course, they're like, oh, I would have played you know this, this guy. They didn't know who the players were. I would have played this guy. This guy I would have never, ever put in the lineup in the postseason. And that was me. And I said, can you imagine <laughs> had the Yankees and the Padres never played Jim Laird in a postseason? You wouldn't have the history that you have now. Labor Metrics doesn't take the emotion. The guys like myself that thrive in pressure situations. Um, actually, it was kind of boring during the season to play. I wanted those big moments. I wanted to come up you know, with a guy on base. And that's why Buck Showalter used to say to me all the time, Jimmy, you're better off on my bench coming in late in the game when I know it's a crucial situation that I need something to do because you will be more successful than most of the players I have on my bench. That was a compliment. It didn't always like it because I wanted to play every day, but that was kind of my mindset. And I don't think that's what sabermetrics can tell you.
1: I agree. No, I, I I totally agree because some guys, some guys elevate when they come to New York, and some guys wilt when they come to New York with the Yankees. Just the way it is.
5: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, you know, I'm I'm interested to see this Volpe kid. And how he handles the pressure, you know.
1: Hey, last thing before I let you go. Are you surprised? I mean, you know him. I don't. Derek Mm -hmm. Jeter's always been a private guy. Now, all of a sudden, Derek Jeter is like Joe DiMaggio selling Mr. (laughs) Coffee for crying out loud. The dude is everywhere. I mean, are you you surprised at this kind of coming out public party for Derek Jeter?
5: You know what? I think maybe when you go home and you have – to deal with three women <laughs> you might need to get out of the house a little bit more
1: <laughs> yeah no i
5: yeah, yeah. You know, you're home for a while the last couple of years have been great but guess what guys i need to get out of the house once in a while and uh now you know what it's great for the game and i mean Derek jeter was such a great ambassador uh of the game of baseball and for him to be in a role now that's not ownership, that now he's tied to one team, that now he can be a little bit more personable and do things. I think it's a great move by Fox. Uh, i I'll be curious to see how good of an announcer he is or or analyst he is. But I do think for the game of baseball to have Derek Jeter around, it is good because he was so great during his time as a player, as a representative to Major League Baseball.
1: Yeah, it's funny. When I got remarried, I had my daughter, my stepdaughter, and my wife at home, and I'm like, "Hey!" I told my wife, "I go, I got to go talk to a guy. I got to go have a beer." And she's like, "Go, go!" I don't blame you. Go, go, go.
2: Yeah, no,
5: that's, I, I, I'm excited. It's gonna be. I think it's gonna be a great year. Yeah. I'm really excited right now because I'm in New York. I'll be here all summer. Uh, I think we got the we got the Yankees. We got the Mets who, you know, Mr. Steinbrenner, too, is over there spending money to get that team going. And now we have the Knicks, we have the Nets, and we have the Rangers in the playoffs for hockey and basketball. It's an exciting time. Oh, the Devils, too. I forgot the Devils there in New Jersey. But it's an exciting time to be here in New York and a sports fan. I am so excited for the next month, a month and a half, to see what happens here in New York.
1: Yeah, it's going to be good. Jim, I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful summer, and, and that was a lot of fun. Thank you.
5: Anytime, man. Thanks for having me.
1: Hey, if you don't know Jim Leyritz, look it up, man. That dude would come in the clutch with the Yankees. I mean the clutch. I'm telling you. he. I, I was a Yankees fan because of my dad, and I always respected George Steinbrenner, and I love watching playoff games in New York Uh the Cubs or Wrigley or uh, Boston, and I'm telling you, man, Scott Brocious, Jim Leyritz, they would just get it done. I don't know who to, the modern day guy is. That Turner guy, the the red beard dude, uh, who I think just went to the command or wherever the hell. I think he went to Washington from L.A. That dude, Trey Turner, the other guy's Trey Turner, who's the third baseman, Justin Turner. That dude was like up every summer. Or every fall coming up with big hits. I don't know about you guys, but I dig that. That's what I dig, man. I dig that big time. That, to me, Jim Laverance is a bad, bad boy. An opening day uh, starts today. And I, ladies and gentlemen, can absolutely, positively not wait. I can't wait. All right. When we come back, we got the damn awards. Don't at me. See what we do there? It's pretty clever. All right, it's pretty clever. A lot of you are disagreeing. If if you're disagreeing with me on the Cubs, um, or excuse me, if you're disagreeing uh, with me on Lamar Jackson and the Colts, show me where the Colts have been out of the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes. The only thing that I have seen is Jim Ursay saying, hey, hold on here. Uh... We don't like guaranteed contracts. I didn't see where he said we are absolutely not giving guaranteed contracts. What have I told you all for years and years and years on literally every show that I do, there's always a backstory. There isn't sometimes a backstory. There is always, and I mean always, a backstory. Always. Every dime, every day. So Jim Ursay coming out and saying that, he didn't all of a sudden just pop into his head and say, hey, look, I think that I'll just come out and say I don't like guaranteed contracts. He didn't say I'm not giving them. He didn't say, at least to me. Now, again, I'm on the YouTube chat and other places, so I'll listen to you. But I didn't see anywhere where he said, hey, look, look, we ain't doing it. I heard earlier today uh, on one of these shows here, I think Craig Carton's show, The Culture Out, uh, I didn't see that. Yes, it is a Just Add Water shirt. If you're looking for boats, go see my guy. Yeah, he gave me a shirt. And you got to understand something about me and shirts. I am a fabric When I go get a double-X shirt, I go like this. If it just goes to here, I don't buy it. I get If it goes out here, I buy it. This shirt. Well, I'm not sure it is the most handsome on television, it's not terrible, but it fits me so good. <laughs> it's so comfortable. And I love my guy, Keith Hockett at Just Add Water Boats. I do. Go get a boat. If you're looking for a boat, he's got boats in stock. I'm just saying. Dan, there are no guarantees in life. Look at Rick. All right, Rick. Uh, you folks with the YouTube chat that are Colts fans You all want, yeah, I'm a fabricophobe. I am. My whole life, I couldn't wear anything with cotton. I don't know. Don't ask me. It's a burden. It's a true burden, but I am. I am a fabricophobe. Like, there are so many clothes that I used to give away at Emma's just because, and they're beautiful. Some I didn't even take, uh, but BSN Sports would send me t shirts, and I would go like this. And if they didn't stretch or they had that funky kind of dry fit material, I gave them away. It's hard. You guys think it's easy? See this? It's hard. Fabricophobe. One who fears fabric. (laughs) Oh, man. I don't fear it. I guess I just can't wear it. Like my daughter makes fun of me. Hey dad, I was watching your show. I saw your red Indiana uh, Hoosiers t-shirt. In fact, my Indiana Hoosiers t-shirt had its own Twitter handle. Dockich's t-shirt. Well, why do you wear that? Cause it's comfortable. I've had, I got like five of them from uh, rusty stillions, the uh, equipment guy in Indiana because it's comfortable. Jennifer, it is hard. You You guys think it's easy with this brain? You think so? It's freaking hard. It's really hard. Holy crap. Yeah, Eastern Europeans prefer wool. I won't wear wool or anything. In fact, right now, I won't wear pants. If I showed you what I'm wearing right now, see these? These are a combination like, I don't know, sweatpants, night pants. And I wear them all day. I wear them to walk the dog. I wear them to the gym because they don't itch. My legs itch. It's hard. Dan is a fabricist. Yes. Yes, I am a (laughs) fabricist. Yes, I'm a fabric diva, Jennifer. I'm a fashion diva. But this shirt and this company is great. Now, if this was a crap company, I would not wear it. I wouldn't. I only put on my body, on television, what I use, and I go to Just Add Water Boats, and I get stuff. Scandalous Dad showing some legs, yeah! This show's R-rated, baby! Hey, by the way, I watched Casablanca last night for the first time, I gotta tell you about it, uh, if you like what you see. Yeah, you gotta subscribe to our YouTube channel, t- yeah, subscribe, ring the bell, I didn't know about that, I do now, we'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned.
0: Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more. Right now, save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real Steel. The FS56RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
1: Hey, uh, I watched Casablanca last night. I don't know if you've ever seen Casablanca. Man, is it old? Holy nutsack. Humphrey Bogart was tremendous, and the girl was hot. Woo! Was she hot? In fact... If you're gonna get involved in the World War II, you might as well get involved over whoever that actress was. I know you, uh, you guys know. By the way, Lee is out of town. She has stayed in Boston for the week because uh, Tegan was supposed to play tomorrow and uh, on Tuesday and then has a game this weekend. I need an old movie. Yeah, Ingrid Bergman. Woo! Wow, Ingrid Bergman she make you put back stuff you never stole right there. Man, Uh, I, ladies and gentlemen, I'm like, like Ingrid, baby. I mean, you know, smoking, wow. And with modern type surgeries that they do, she would have, uh, well anyway, I'm getting a little sexist here, but Ingrid Bergman, wow. And you know, the truth of the matter is, Humphrey Bogart and that was kind of a little whiny batch. Wasn't he sitting there getting drunk because the woman left him? The woman came to tell him why she left him, and he's sitting there getting hammered, acting like a little batch. Don't ever act like a batch. Sack the hell up, walk like a man. Women don't like guys that act like little batches. You know what I mean? Guys are saying full metal jacket, the great outdoors. I need a, I need a, yeah, the public enemy. I'm just saying this. I need an old movie. Um, I watched one of those Sherlock Holmes or one of those other ones. I forget what it was, but it was pretty good too. I, I just need old movies. I kind of like them. I'm kind of into them. I'll tell you what I'm into. Lee Ross told me this, my wife told me this a while back, you should identify as a woman. If you identified as a woman, every network in America would hire you. Look, as a 50 or 60 year old white guy, every network in America, they don't like me. Too too big a mouth, too much trouble on social media, all that kind of happy horse bleep. So here's what happened, a male power lifter decided that he was gonna make fun of the idea that men aren't stronger than women. So a powerlifter broke women's records held by a biological male in protest of transgender policy. So this guy, he's a powerlifting coach. His name is Avi Silverberg. He had seen enough of biological males competing against women. He decided to protest new trans policies, ruining his sport. So he self identified. This is freaking awesome. He self identified as a woman and shattered a record during a recent meet. The women's bench press title holder in the 84 plus kilogram category is some clown named Ann Andres, who is a biological dude. Andres, the biological dude, has won eight of the nine competitions he has entered as a woman and is recognized as a female on the power open powerlifting ranking site. Well, Andres was there at the Heroes Classic Powerlifting meet. He got to see Silverberg just obliterated it. He broke Andres' record, Silverberg. He didn't break any rules, which is insane to me. How could he not break any rules? He just simply announced that he self-identified as a woman, which in the Canadian Powerlifting Union, the CPU, by the way, says you can do. The trans inclusion policy, which is so ridiculous, was officially released, and it stated that if a man says they're a woman than anything goes. Based on this background and available evidence, the expert working group felt that trans athletes should be able to participate in the gender with which they identify regardless of whether or not they have undergone hormone therapy, which literally means what my wife, Lee Ross, has been saying. And that is you can simply identify as a woman if you are a man if you have a penis, if you have scrotum, testicles, the whole thing, and have not gone under any, any, any hormone therapy. So this guy says, screw you. I am just going to make fun of you and kick all of your asses and break all of your records. How ridiculous. That on the screen is a lady. Oh, man. Come on, people. Come on. Uh, The Otter Creek says, I want Joel Embiid to go trans and dunk over all the WNBA players. Uh, One of our leaders is Jason Whitlock, and Jason Whitlock has said, hey, look, LeBron James identifying as a woman would dominate the WNBA. (laughs) Oh, man. Is there anything better? Seriously, is there anything better than the stupidity we got going on right now in our nation? There is nothing better. You can go whatever direction you want, but there's nothing better than the stupidity. All right, I like this. Kim English, who just became the Providence head coach, challenged a freshman on his team, Jaden Pierre. To a game of one-on-one, uh, if English won, Pierre had to take his name out of the portal. If Pierre won, he's free to leave. Let's roll the tape. He was very comfortable. comfortable. Whatever
5: he wanted. Very comfortable. He missed a lot of shots. I won. He missed a lot of shots. I won.
2: Tell I won. him who won. First of all, who won?
5: You called four dribbles when I went and dunked on you. <laughs> Did you dunk it? I went and dunked the ball, and it it he called three four dribbles. Is it three dribble? Limit. One dribble, Hezy. Two dribbles to the rim. It's Jersey legend. Look at my man, Jersey it's legend, real, bro. That's real. Really Look, real. 620 in That's here. Real. 620 in here. All I'm
2: saying is, Fire Nation, see. we came in the gym on a late night. He was whooping I said play me one-on-one to get up out the portal. We play one-on-one.
1: Hey, I'm going to say this. What do you say at the end? I'm going to stay here. That's pretty good. I mean, it's the modern way of college basketball, right? You got to do stupid things. You got to act like a fool to keep players there. But, hey, good for Kim English. He's establishing himself as a player's guy, and that's the most important thing, that you can establish yourself in the modern world of college basketball, and I like it. Michael Jordan and Isaiah Thomas continue to go back and forth. Isaiah appeared on a recent issue of All uh, All the Smoke where – Uh, Matt Barnes smokes weed, then goes on ESPN. He challenged Michael Jordan for calling him an a-hole during an episode of the widely popular Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. I would never apologize for calling anybody an a-hole unless I meant it. Meaning, well, no, not I meant it. Unless I legitimately felt bad about it. If I felt legitimately bad about it, I might reach out. And I would never call for anybody to apologize. Every day... Of my life, because of my immense popularity, I got all these little basketball guys, Jeff Goodman, uh, little dangerous Division Three, Robbie Doster, they're all mad at me because Goodman was so bad on a broadcast that I had to make fun of him on the broadcast, and I told him uh, after, look, we're here not to do Jeff Goodman's stupid stuff. And ESPN agreed they got rid of Goodman, they had to, he was horrible, but every day they're on my ass, I don't want them to apologize, I just want them not to be cowards. I mean, that's it. Michael Jordan's a coward for doing what he did to Isaiah Thomas. You want to call somebody a blank blank? Do it to their face. And maybe he has. But Michael Jordan's one of those guys whose secrecy uh, aids him, right? His, he's above the media. The media is never going to get on board with this. But you call some guy an A blank on a documentary. If I'm Isaiah, Isaiah's dealt with tougher things than that. Isaiah is, frankly... Uh, one of the toughest human beings to ever play basketball or any sport, and Michael doesn't want any of the smoke, none of it, with Isaiah Thomas. But if you're going to do that and and, and a guy doesn't like what you did and he's being fairly respectful, which is what Isaiah is, I think you have an obligation to at least walk like a man. So many dudes don't want to walk like a man. Just don't be a coward. That's all I'm saying. Just don't be a coward. That's it. It's not that hard. Don't be a coward. I like Isaiah. Uh, Taylor Lorenz is among the worst people in the country. Those of you that don't know her, she is a Washington Post... Uh, writer, she is the woman in the middle that's looking so creepy, bending her left knee, and she's doing it without wearing a mask, which in itself would not be a big deal. But this clown, this woke millennial little pain in the ass has ambushed people, has tried to destroy people, has tried to cancel people for not wearing a mask. She is legitimately, legitimately the worst human being in media. Now, I didn't say the worst human being alive because that it would be violent crime division. I contend the worst person that I ever met was a guy named Jeffrey Beering who lived behind my house who murdered a little girl, stabbing her 33 times with a screwdriver. I always go nonviolent crime division. The worst person that I know, business division, is Coach Knight's son. We call him Fat Timmy. Fat Timmy Knight would cheat you, steal from you, do everything to the point where we had the attorney general in the state of Indiana show up in our office because Timmy was cheating so many people out of a camp buy. We had a big basketball camp. Fat Timmy was not providing shoes and a t-shirt, which people paid for. It got to the point with very serious guys, very, very serious guys came into our office wanting answers. And Bob Knight, I think, crapped himself, and I think Timmy crapped on Bob Knight's crap. He's the worst human being I know, business-wise. But Taylor Lorenz uh, may surpass Greg Doyle as the worst human being I know, media-wise. Look at how creepy she is. She's literally the one in the middle. Like, just a creep. And by the way, Taylor Lorenz, you're not very inclusive as I look at your little dinner party and it's all white people. Is that Kathy Griffin, America's biggest hater? No, stop it. Taylor Lorenz is America's worst human being. I believe. America's worst media person. I think. All right, let's put it out there. Who is a worse media person than Taylor Lorenz? Is there anyone? I don't know. Uh, I, I look at if you are a fraud, if you are a liar, if you are evil, Taylor Lorenz is the worst. Media division category. All right, what else we got here? Since Kyle, it, 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 why, why do I have to be the one to explain this? Why do I have to be the one to explain that Kyrie Irving is an absolute team killer. Kyrie Irving was not a team killer. And then guess what happened? What happened to Kyrie Irving is what happens to a lot of guys. He became really important. He became somebody that decided I'm going to use my platform for stuff outside of basketball. And he's an idiot. He's really stupid. Like he's not, he's smart But when you see him, he's really stupid. When you listen to him, he's a very articulate, smart guy that just says stupid stuff, and now he's become a thing. He's no longer a guy that, frankly, um, is a basketball player trying to win. He's become a thing. Like, Draymond Green has become a thing. But Draymond Green doesn't matter on the Warriors because the Warriors are going to sink and swim with their role players and Curry and Thompson. But this guy is a focal point on a team and he destroys teams. So he said his team is a cluster F. Well, guess what? Most teams, let's go back, that you have come to have become cluster Fs. So it's no surprise that the latest team you come to came to becomes a cluster F. The big surprise is that Mark Cuban wasn't smart enough to understand that. Look, the NBA is not in a bubble. The NBA is not just, well, this guy's over here, so we don't know anything about him. Everybody in the NBA knows that there is nobody worse to have on your team right now than Kyrie Irving. Don't go back to Cleveland when he was fine. Boston, you couldn't guard him in the playoffs. At least we couldn't here in Indiana. I'm talking about now Kyrie Irving, a guy – That famous, we don't need a coach, really? How'd that work out in Brooklyn? Well, it was Nash's fault. Of course it was Nash's fault. Nothing to do with Kyrie Irving. That blank show fell apart, and now he's trying to destroy another franchise. That's not Kyrie Irving's fault. It's Mark Cuban's fault. Has nothing to do with Irving. Irving is who he is. Irving's who, Paul George did the same thing. Paul George, terrific as a young up-and-coming player. And then Paul George became a thing. So what Paul George do started stupid strippers started being a guy started being someone that actually with his Fresno state three-year education, he thought we were all supposed to listen to not listening to Paul George about anything. I'm not listening to him about basketball. Went from a nice kid sat next to me for three hours, hosting a show with me when he first came up, Paul George then became a thing who wants to listen to Paul George about anything, anything. I don't. Maybe fishing. People loved him in fishing. People thought he was great fishing. Apparently, he lives right out here. His house wasn't, like, crazy nice. It was nice enough. Uh, And you know what? Uh, Seemed like a great guy, but I don't want to listen to Paul George about anything. Uh, NBA players continue to show that they're absolute weenies, whether it's Paul George, Kyrie Irving, or now Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook got booed after kicking a fan out who was being mean to me. Oh, the fashionista. That fan be mean to me. He mean to me. Get him out. I actually got in a bit of a hassle one time with uh, George Hill. I did. I did. I got in a hassle one time with George Hill. George Hill, I would criticize him because I thought George Hill was just a guy. He started yelling at me. Uh, he started yelling at me about uh, my, my. you know, he was on the bench. And I said, hey, fuck you. You know, people got a little excited. I probably shouldn't have responded. but I'm going to sit there and listen to some idiot uh, basketball player or athlete. Screw that he would be me now. They would kick me out and lock me up. I really didn't even say anything. I just said, oh. and then I went about my business. George Hill. <laughs> so Russ, oh Russ, he of uh, West Brick uh, gets a fan kicked out because well, Russell Westbrook is a fake tough guy that can't play anymore, and he's trying and I mean hoping against hope that people pay attention to me. All right, I can't wait to see this. The smartest thing that we've done on this show is go woke-a-dope, dude. Two woke-a-dopes has been stellar. All right, boys. We got Ryan. We got Dylan. Uh, More like Russell (laughs) West-Book. You guys are on one today. I like it. Please feel free. Yeah. Yeah, man. I got to tell you, it's interesting. It's very interesting. I don't want my daughter, who is a fourth grade teacher, I've talked about a lot, I don't want her handling a gun. I don't want her to have to have a gun in her drawer, and I don't want to have to have her point a gun at an assailant. But this question is easy, man. Weapon-free school zone or staff members are armed and trained any attempt to harm children will be met with deadly force. Now, I got to tell you, it's kind of like you really don't have to have the security system at your house. You just have to have the sign in front, the sign in the back, and the little stickers on your windows. That's what you truly need to do. You can protect your house by just doing this, by just putting this. You can protect your school, the sign on the right. Well, you know, we shouldn't have to do that. Well, we have to do that. We're in a place where now we must do that. So I don't know what to tell you. But that's what we should do. That's how we should go about the business. Just put these signs up everywhere. Period. I'm about ready to put a sign in front of my house. I have a gun. I'm trained. I'll shoot you if you come in unannounced. See, I don't want to ever shoot anybody and I know people that watch and listen to this show certainly don't want to shoot anybody, all right? But I do know this. If guys, gals come into my house and they try to do anything with me or my family, I got no problem shooting them. And if that makes you mad, good for you. If that makes you sad, good for you. If that makes you dislike me, good for you. Don't care. Don't care. Uh, of Creek, I love the signs on people's doors that said, if you come in, we're going to shoot you. I do too. I do too. Anthony uh, O's says, I like it, Dan. As an elementary teacher, this works. Uh, Dan, players should not have the ability to get fans thrown out. Of course they shouldn't. No more than fans should have the ability to throw out a player. They shouldn't have the ability to throw a fan out. Screw these guys. All right, what's next? Oh boy, oh boy. Wait, I can't hear volume. What is this? Is this a person? Oh boy, oh boy. Is, that's not a mask either, is it, Ryan Dylan? That's not a mask. That's a little plastic surgery. Holy cow. What in the hell? That's I, Look, I don't make fun of people's appearances because when you got all this going on, you got to be very careful. But I do got to tell you, that's just gross. That's just gross. Like who in their right mind would say, hey, I think this is a really good idea. I think this is something that mom and I, I got to believe we're going to. We're going to get this done. We're going to go to the plastic surgeon. We're going to have a lip the size of I don't even know. Woo! What do you do when you're older? What do you do when you're older? What do you do when you're like, uh, this is how I look? A lot of people think that's an alien. I don't know what the hell that is. But I know this, that might be the chew your arm off in the morning poster child. I did what? I got what? You slipped me what? I'm with it, what? I see the attempt at Elvira. Can we get that off the screen before I puke? (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. All right. A couple of other things we got to get to. I love this. Deion Sanders has sent out a tweet, which apparently people are saying is aimed at Lamar Jackson, and it's basically this. Stop explaining yourself to fools. I need to live by that. I do. I absolutely need 100% to live by that. Stop explaining yourself to fools is something we can all and should all get behind. Nobody needs to explain themselves to Indy Hoosier 96 or Colts Fan 107. Hey, don't. And when you are in a position, when you are in a position uh, that Lamar Jackson is, don't do it. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Hey, let's finish by talking about this guy, Jamal Bowman, and him yelling and screaming. You want to see the face of stupid today? Here comes the face of stupid. In the halls of Congress, this idiot, Jamal Bowman, decides he's going to scream, and Thomas Massey, for whatever the reason, decides he is going to confront him. Now, I'll let you guess... Which guy went to i I'll let you guess. Let's roll a little tape. Maybe you don't have it, I don't know. I put you on the spot here, apologies. Can we roll a little tape from earlier in the show? Children
2: at all, cowards.
1: Look at this them, clown.
2: Force them to respond about about to about the about question, about. why the hell will you do anything to save America's children? And let them explain that all the way up until election day of 2024. Let them explain it all the way up to election day on 2024. They're freaking cowards. They're gutless. They're what not here. I'm talking about gun violence. You know, there's never been I'm a school about gun violence in a school that allows teachers to carry. Carry would guns? You, would you more, guns more, would you more guns lead to more death. More guns lead to more death. Look at you the data. Money. You're not looking at any data. No You're, You're no carrying deal. the water for the gun lobby. No, no, Look listen, at the data. More guns, even kids. more deaths. Kids, guns, states that kids, have open carry laws have more death. School, states so, that have open carry laws have uh, more uh, deaths. Well, are you listening to what I'm saying? They have they have That's, a, what caused their team. children to die? Nine so, year so, old so, children. Because the solution is not harming teachers. Have you ever worked in a school? Have you ever worked in a school? Have you ever worked in a school? Have you ever worked in the school? It's a yes or no question. Have, have you, you ever worked in, in the today? school? You, you will not heard? answer my question. Don't stop and talk to me. Okay, I'll bring it down and out. All right, folks. Have you ever Listen, worked in the school? I've got a bill to repeal. The I worked in the school for anymore. 20 years. You're just screaming. I was a I was screaming before you came and interrupted me. Every. I worked in the school for 20 years. So I worked in school 20 years. In every school, I was a teacher, I was a school care. counselor, I was a middle school principal, I was in cafeterias every protecting kids every day of my career. There's never Plan. been a shooting. It's time Ask we've got guns here to protect us. I believe the kids should it, have it, somebody to
3: protect them. Every school that's allowed it has never had a shooting, not even an accidental discharge at any of the schools. So.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Next, next week, I'm reintroducing... I always judge people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. I'll let you guess which guy went to MIT. Uh, in that. It's kind of like the Kendrick Perkins, J.J. Reddick thing. One guy screaming like a complete idiot and the other guy dumb enough to engage. But in Reddick's case, he wasn't dumb enough to engage. Kendrick Perkins, the big racist, just decided to go act an idiot. This guy, Jamal Bowman, decided to go act an idiot. One of the most important things you can do as a leader is listen. Listen to your constituents. Listen to your Uh, People, listen around you. Listen. Don't yell, scream, and talk. This guy Bowman has done a god-awful job in his own district as kids of color are killing each other in his district, and he has been there long enough and has not done a damn thing. The truth of the matter is this. Uh, you got to listen. Yelling and screaming, using profanity in the halls doesn't do jack squat because now, frankly, nobody takes this guy Bowman seriously. He's not getting defended like he thought. Guys like Jason Whitlock are basically saying, so you think you solved the problem by acting like an idiot? It's not just me, people. But again, I go to this. I go to this. I go to a, I judge people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin, and I hope you do too. And because of the content that is obviously this guy's character, uh, he is a screamer, a yeller, and he's a moron. Because that's what screamers and yellers do. They act like morons. They are morons, and way they go. All right. Uh, Breaking news. Shaman Jacob Chansley has been released a year early from prison after Tucker Carlson's January 6 footage proved he was wrongfully sentenced. It's starting to turn, people. I believe we are starting to get the, I don't know, I'm starting to feel like we are coming out of the, not uh, what's the right word? The cancel culture malaise, the stupidity that we were in. And maybe, just maybe, we're starting to get real. That's why, once again, I love working here at OutKick. Go to OutKick.com. Follow us. Read us. You'll love it because it's honest. I don't have a dishonest bone in my body. If you got to say you don't have a dishonest bone in your body, then you don't have a, then you have a lot of... Yeah, whatever. And it makes people crazy. That's why I'm so proud to work here. It's what we all do. We just tell you the way it is. We don't judge people by skin color. We don't judge people by their political aisle, their political uh, party. We judge them by what they do, what they say. In fact, I'm not even sure using the word judge. We just discussed. Tomorrow is Friday, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm going to have the entire Final Four broken down for you in ways that you've never seen before. Have a great, great afternoon. Thanks to Jim Leyritz. Thanks to Danny Z. Thanks to our friend Dylan and Ryan and Davey, I and Haley. Have a great afternoon, everybody.